welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwaneka. So this feels like um, my home. I've been traveling for about three weeks, four weeks away from home. And getting back home, when I say something to my daughter, she looks at me as if she's negotiating in her mind whether she's going to listen or not. Because, you know, she hadn't had to listen to me for four weeks. So it's like the people back at the coffee stations, they're negotiating whether they're going to listen, like Bandile. I'm not sure whether he's listening and not. And coming to sit back down and to hear the word of the Lord. So my name is Bosov. My surname is Grobler. Don't make fun of the two surnames, please. I'm a partner at... Um, okay. Kimang. So one of five kids, my parents ran out of names and they had to go for a surname. So that's the story. We are kicking off our series on money. Mula, chelete. And that's why sort of the front seats are empty. You know, people don't want to get the, that sermon first. Bandile, you're brave. Maybe you should sit in the front. So the sermon series is entitled Making Change. And what we are focusing on in making change is to think about our finances. That's already a scary move, right? To think about your finances as opposed to just going, nah, it's just out of the door. Thinking about our finances in determining whether our finances give us fear or freedom. It is possible, financial freedom, by the way. Even if you live in South Africa, even if you live in the tip of South Africa, in Egoli, in Tswane, it is possible. Now, in order for you to just get into it from a personal perspective, I'm not speaking to other people. I'm speaking to you today. The Lord, through His Scriptures, wants to speak to each and every one of us. So I want you to consider just very quickly whether where in this continuum between fear and freedom you live when it comes to financial situations. And before you answer that question, if this is on that side of the stage is fear, on that side of the stage is freedom, bless all of you, you are free. The fear of the Lord is on this side of the room. Just before you think about it, just think of it in the context of the debt situation, debita for the Afrikaans people, your skult, the debt that you are in at the moment, financially. Secondly, your spending habits. How much goes out the door? How much comes in through the door? Then think about it in the context of generosity and then also in the context of investments. So those are the four things that we, that we think about in the context of fear and freedom. So now, in that context, where do you sit in the context of your financial situation? Because we are going to address all four of those things during this series. We are going to talk about debt first. Being a banker, 
uh, Joe thought it good to have a banker that makes money out of debt to talk about the biblical perspective of debt. So I'm going to do that. That the theme of the series or of the sermon is then about stress. Don't stress. Then next week we are going to talk about the spending habits. Less is more. Yes. Then we are going to go, if you go to the next slide, please, so that people get everything. We're going to talk about generosity, giving is good, and then investment. Tomorrow matters. So if you have friends that are not here, that are not free from a financial perspective, please invite them. Share the videos that will come as a result of this. This is such a crucial word, such a crucial few weeks that we're going to go into. So I'm going to go immediately to the, uh, the poster child verse about money. Where will I find that? <laughs> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Okay, so no, 1 Timothy 6.10. 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Most of the, the versions of the Bible and translations talk about it's the root of all evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Oh, that's a great way to start, right? Okay. Bear with me. Money, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the only thing that the Bible talks about being the root of all evil. The only thing anywhere in the Bible that the Bible says it is the root of all evil. Contrary to poppy belief, it is not Zamalek that is the root of all evil. It's not Pulisi coffee. It's not secularism. It's not Satanism. It's not sexual promiscuity. It's not lying. It's not deceit. You can see the white people say, Zamalek, what? Okay. Black label. Comfortable? Good. It's none of these things. None of these things, the Bible says, is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. So I would suggest that we all focus on what the love of money means. What is the love? It's not money. Money is not a bad thing. It's the love of money. So in Greek, the love of money, they refer to as a noun. Now, I'm not Greek, so I just need to read it quickly what it means. Philaroguros is a noun that means money love. Philos is the love of people, the love of my brother. Philaroguros is money love. So this doesn't talk about I am obsessed with money because when you're sitting here and say, I'm not obsessed with money, so this verse doesn't apply to me. It's not what he talks about. He talks about the basic principle that undergirds every human interaction. It's the question whether you are focused on other people when making decisions about money, about many other things, whether agape love drives you, contribution drives you, or whether competition drives you. It's not about the obsession with money. It's not about that. It is the basic fundamental functioning of how you interact with the world. 
And that's why this verse is so massively, massively important. Now, the risk here is that because I've been a banker for 25 years, that I go too fast, or I say things that you don't understand, then you must stop me. If I say things that you don't like, you can't stop me. I will back it up through the scriptures. But if there's something that you don't get, we're not many people in the church today, you, you say, back up, Bob. Okay, I'll back up. Okay, please, let's just go back because these principles are so, so important. Let's go then into what the Bible says about debt. Now, the reference that I want to take there is a very rich man, very, very rich man. Who is the richest man on earth at the moment? Solomon doesn't live now. It's like, wow. Elon Musk is the richest guy on earth. And then sometimes he goes out of earth and then he brings the rocket back. But on earth, he's the richest man at the moment. How rich is he? No, 200 billion. This is Raik the Pretorianeris. He comes from China. 200 billion, uh, not Zim dollars, proper dollars. Yeah. So there is also people that know that Solomon was much richer in today's terms than this guy, Elon Musk. How rich was Solomon in today's terms? Two trillion dollars. Two trillion dollars. So when this guy talks about finances and when he talks about debt, we focus. Okay, so I'm going to go to Proverbs, and I'm going to hear from a guy called Solomon on what the issue is biblically with debt. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Okay, so bankers make money through debt, so this is very scary for me to go here. But this is what Solomon says, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Then if we go forward, Proverbs 6, 1 to 5. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor and you have shaken the hands in a pledge for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, to free yourself, since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. And then verse 5, free yourself like what? Like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. Like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Let me summarize in one sentence what these two verses reference biblically with reference to debt. Debt has the potential of binding you to something, to someone, or an institution other than God. It's got the potential to bind you. It's got the potential to bind you to something, someone, or an institution other than God. And now you're saying, why is that a problem? And I want to answer that with a great definition that I heard of financial independence. Who wants to be financially independent? Not only of your parents, but of the world around you. Please, Lord, may the people be... You know, if you're not free financially from your parents, what's the problem with that? They're going to live with you when you are older because they keep on giving you money. 
And then when they are old, they're going to lean on you at the same time that you have kids and you are going to be a sandwich between the two. Great idea to get financially independent. Who wants to be financially independent? Who don't want their parents in their living rooms when you are 35? I can see the hands going up now. Okay. So, financial independence. Here's a great, great definition. It's not my definition, but I think it's a great definition. It's being in a position where money does not determine whether you follow God's purpose in your life. Yes? That's a big amen that needs to come for that one. Financial independence, we've got it up on the screen here, is to be in a position where money does not stop you from following after God's purpose for your life. That it is what is at stake in your life. Debt, in certain circumstances, can do great things. You see, the thing with money is like a loaded gun. It can defend, it can protect, it can feed, and it can kill and destroy. And it's between those two realities that we many times, we're either on that side of the stage or we're on that side of the stage. And let me say this, it is not one decision that you take that leave you standing on the corner of a road. It's not one decision only that puts you at the bottom of a bridge somewhere without food. It's consecutive decisions that you take and you come into a pattern of decision-making that gets you into a space where you're on that side of the stage, where you become fearful as opposed to free. There are 12 million people in South Africa that have bad debt records. And there's only 15 million people that have jobs in South Africa. How does that happen? 12 million people, bad debt records. 15 million people that have jobs. 40% of marriages in South Africa break, end up in divorce within the first 10 years. One of the biggest reasons why marriages break, finances. And it doesn't break because of one bad decision. It breaks as a result of consecutive bad financial decisions. I remember after, after COVID, I had a, somebody phoned me and they said, listen, we, we, we're walking a road with this couple. There's this amazing couple and they, they, they like been together for many years. They've got small kids and they now are on the brink of divorce. And I said to them, okay, so, but I'm not a, I'm not a counselor, so I can't help. And then the, the person said, okay, but money is the issue because they're in a situation where they've got massive, massive debt. Then they went and borrowed money from the father-in-law in order to bail them out when her business had to close down in COVID because she was in the hospitality industry and the husband lost his job. And then all of a sudden, all the debt that they had racked up, many different decisions resulted in a space where they couldn't even service the, the interest on the debt. And now you've got the banker with a white shirt coming after you saying, I want my money back when you can't pay them. And then they borrowed money from the father-in-law, and then the father-in-law started dictating what they do in their house. Okay, now somebody's interfering in the role that they should not be because they can't necessarily trust the couple to make decisions, and then it was just a disaster. By the time I got to them, they were really in such a difficult position. And I asked them, how did you get here? And then they said, no, it's COVID. It's somebody else's fault. It's COVID's fault. And I'm like, mm, okay, so if you hadn't had all this debt, even with COVID coming, you would have probably been fine. So it's not COVID necessarily. 
No, you know, maybe it's uh, when my father came into this picture. Okay, but why did your father come into this picture? And we, we went on and on and on about, you know, where did this really come from? And the answer was, well, in the end, I asked this question. What was the first time? When was the first time that you incurred debt? And they looked at each other and they said, we went on honeymoon on our credit card. It's the first time. Okay, now think about it. I'm going to go on honeymoon. I'm going to get married once. I'm entitled to a great honeymoon, right? It sounds good. It sounds like a great decision. I had to stop myself from saying, okay, but now you're going to get married twice because you had like, uh, that would have been a very bad thing to say. I didn't say that. Because see, I don't judge me. I didn't say it. I thought it. But that's, you can rationalize a lot. There's a reason for murder as well. We call it motive. It doesn't make it right. Consecutive decisions that we take that is not based like on rationality. And I wonder many times why we make these decisions. So I want to make this statement, if you put it up on the screen so that people can see it. I wanted to put it like in bold letters. I think we put it in uppercase. Yeah, we put it in uppercase. The love of money has the potential of drawing us away from God's preferred future for our lives. The love of money has got the, the potential of drawing me away. And it's not the obsession of money. Philal Guros says it is the, the basic fundamental, the, what undergirds my decision making. That is the problem that we need to look out for when it comes to money. I'll go a step further and I'll say this, if you put the next slide up. Each decision that you take, each decision that you take in the context of financial realities is taken on the battleground for God's preferred future for your life. Can okay, I you say, both of you are being dramatic here. I'm not being dramatic. I want to take you to the battle lines that were drawn at the fall of humankind. 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. The enemy is walking around and he is trying to take you away from God's preferred future for your marriage, God's preferred future for your children, God's preferred future for your job, God's preferred future for your family, for the people around you, your friends. That is the job of the devil. That's his intention. It's been his intention from the laying of the foundations of the earth. That is what he wants. The battle lines have been drawn. I'm not being dramatic. I am being real. And maybe many times we don't open our eyes to the battle that is raging around us in each and every financial decision that we take. It's taken in the battlegrounds, the battlegrounds of God's preferred future for your life. Let's just take a moment here. Has God shared with you His preferred future for your life? Has God shared with you before what He wants your life to have an impact in the world around you, to solve some of the biggest issues that the world faces in your reality, close by, or in the world afar? 
God wants to do that for each and every one of us. We were made. Why, why were we made? I've been speaking a lot. Give me an answer quickly. Why were we made? To glorify God. That's why we are here. How do we glorify Him? We glorify Him by reflecting who He is in the situations that we are. God says to Moses, He says to him, when Moses said, ah, okay, so I had like retirement in mind. I'm 80. Now you are going to take me to, to do this big thing. And the people aren't going to follow me. And God says, I've got a big thing for you. And then he says, okay, so who, who should I say is sending me? Because me, myself, and I, I can't do this. And God says, I am. Everything that I am, I have gifted you with. And the only thing that you have to do is you carry what I've gifted you with into the world around you. There's people around here that God says, I have made you. I am God. I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the one that heals. I have made you, like the two people at the back there, to step into the young people's lives in schools and in the, the society of carrying Jesus into their lives. I am Jehovah Rapha. You are glorifying me as you carry me into the space of kids' ministry and working with kids. There are people here that, that God says, I'm Jehovah Elohim. I am the one that creates. I have made you somebody that creates. I have made you an entrepreneur. I have made you somebody whose preferred future is brilliant and building things that will not exist if you don't build it and we end up with debts and money issues and we cannot follow after God's preferred future of bringing him glory in the world around you guys girls God is after your heart because if he gets your heart, he knows that he can influence so many lives around you. And the reality of this capitalistic world that we live in is we are drawn away from his preferred future for our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that today will be the day that we are redeemed back to his purposes. And people that don't like Zamalek say, Amen. Yeah? That's a good word that God has given. He wants to draw you back. This is not a word of condemnation. This is a word of revelation. God wants to reveal Himself in your life today, right now. And this cloud of financial issues have been clouding them the way that you see God. I can't see him if I wake, a, wake up two o'clock at night and say, how am I going to get out of this hole that I dug for myself? Shall we continue? Or should we stop? This is maybe too, too difficult to hear. Okay, let's continue. The love of money. It means that there's emotion around money. How do we make financial decisions? Let's get very practical now. How do we make financial decisions? In haste, that's one way. Do we do calculations? Somikis. Budget. budget. There's like big things. Like there's like on the F&B app, any app that you, there's a budgeting app, right? There's apps that tell you how to calculate interest when you're going to pay interest on, on a loan that you might get. There's apps that show you many, many different things. So in this day and age, there's a lot of sums that we can make, a lot of calculations. 
interest, compound interest, inflation, all of these things that sound like swearing, but it's, it's a reality of how do we work our financial, our financial realities. Or maybe our needs, a needs analysis. That's also a good thing, hey? So what do I need? What do I want? How do I prioritize these things? When do I buy what? Do I get money to, to, to a loan in order to, to buy something that I need? So there's a needs analysis. The reality, though, is that emotions drive financial decision-making. There's a whole field of study called the um, behavioral economics. Big field of study that talks about how our emotions drive the way that we invest, the emotions drive the way that we think about our finances. Neuroscience has done so many different studies about how we think about financial decisions. So science has shown that emotions determine our financial future. Now, Scripture knew that. Paul knew that long before neuroscience was like out there and was a thing. Behavioral economics was out there and a thing because he says the love of money, the emotion of money that determine how I take decisions. So I want to suggest and I want to invite you now to come and think with me about the emotions that we have about our finances. And I'll give you a metaphor just to make it easy for you to, to consider this. What's a metaphor? Metaphor is a story that you can think about and you will forget everything that I've said, but maybe you'll remember the story. So one of my bucket list things was to go out in the African bush on a horseback safari and ride with the animals. That was my thing, hey? I love horses. I love being out in the bush. I love animals. And I thought, Lord, if I can just... If I can just have this opportunity to go out in the bush on a horse that won't throw me off, and I can see what you've created very, very close by, because the thing of a horseback safari is you get very close to the animals. So a long time ago when Zimbabwe was like a, a good place for tourists to go, I went to Zimbabwe and I was on a horseback safari. The, the people that were with me were very good riders. So you can really, we, we ran, I ran in a herd of zebra on a horse. I mean, I was like, I had brown teeth because I was smiling the whole time and it was just dust coming into my, into my mouth. It was amazing. This bucket list thing that I had, I just, I, I mean, running amidst a herd of zebra and then the blow villabias came running past it was it was brilliant i got this close let me not talk about you don't don't look like a buffalo i was this close to a buffalo like literally the most dangerous animal now you're gonna not listen to the rest of what i'm saying mana focus sorry this close to a buffalo the most dangerous animal on the African continent. This close, why? Because I was on a horse and they just think I look funny. <laughs> and then after hours of riding, and I just thought, okay, so this bucket list tick. Some measure of discontentment filtered into my spirit. And I rode up to the guy and I said to him, what's the possibility of getting close to elephant? Yes, and this guy said, I used to pet, man. I said, why? I could get this close to like a, to a buffalo. Why not this close to an elephant? And he said, look, elephants are dangerous things. 
And I said, no, but, you know, I'll, I, this is really, I really want this. And, you know, I'm, I'll give you a tip and, and so on if we, if we get, I say, he said, okay, so we will look for elephant, but you, all of you must promise me that if I give you an instruction, you'll do it immediately. And we rode and we got to an elephant, a herd of elephants, and we were walking closer. And he's like this majestic animal. And I was getting closer and closer and closer. And as I was getting closer, the animal got a fright and the herd started moving. And they started moving faster and faster and faster. And after a while, they started running. And I had visions of the zebra and so on. And I started chasing after them. And all of the people were chasing after me. And at a certain point in time, the, the elephant stopped. And then I thought, I'm going to be close now. I'm going to go. And I rode up to them. And at some point, the guide screamed at us. He said, stop! I nearly wet myself because I, mean, I was like going after these animals. And this guy screams at me, stop. And then he screams, look left. And I look left because I thought maybe there's a lion coming at us. And he said, run that way. <laughs> and we ran. It was just bush and thicket. And my hat went and my shirt was ripped. And it's like mayhem just running away. Kilometers later, we stopped. And I pulled the guide up and I wanted to give him a clap. I said, are you like stupid now? He said, listen, guy, I saved your life. I said, what do you mean? He said, what elephants do is when they, when they are chased, they go and then at a certain point they stop. And a part of the herd splits off. And he had seen a part of the herd on the corner of his eye split off from the herd, circling back at you. And as you're in the middle of them, stopping to the front, and then other part of the herd being to the back, they smash you, they trample you, and they kill you. Hence, look left and run. A metaphor for what gets us in trouble in our finances. We go after things that we need. We go after things that we want. And somewhere, somehow, this measure of discontentment comes into my being. And I start chasing after things that will kill me. That will trample me. That will steal my freedom. That will steal my spirit. What does that look like? I speak to people about the holiday that we just go on to. I'm going to wherever, Glentana. And then I'm very excited, right? Because we, I'm much this, this, this year was, don't worry, I'm not going to Glentana. They go there. We don't want to see church people there. Wherever I go. And then I speak to people and they say, oh, but we're going to Mauritius. And then I think, yo, Glentana doesn't seem so nice anymore. I once went to buy a car. Now, my, my principle for buying cars is if I can't buy the car cash, I won't buy it. I drove like haha cars for a long time. But that's not always possible. And then when I say if you have to incur debt and buy a car, then buy the smallest one that your ego can handle. <laughs> so now after a while, I went and I bought a car. I went to a German car place, Mercedes. I don't like BMW. So I went to Mercedes. And I knew that there was the C250 Bluetech. Bluetech is a nice name for diesel. I went and I said, I want that Mercedes. And this guy came and said, yes, this is a nice Mercedes. But can I show you this one? 
And he went and he showed me this car on the side of the... It was one of those things who opened their doors up. It's not sideways. And I thought, this is from heaven. It's like angels telling me that I have to take this car. And this guy was standing on my side and he whispered. He said, you deserve that car. I said to him, get behind me, Satan. This is like the worst idea ever. We get into those decisions. A friend of mine, they, uh, they had a third child and they wanted to get somebody to help them in their house. So they wanted to buy a, a, a house with servants' quarters, which they didn't have. He ended up buying a service quarters for two million rand. How does that happen? I want another house. I want a service quarters. Oh, let's go and look at this area that we don't can't afford. And then we go to this area. And oh, this is very nice. They've got a bigger pool than we had and so on. He started off trying to get a servant's quarters. He ended up with a house that he couldn't afford. Two million rand more. Happens. Chasing after elephant. Chasing after things that actually not part of God's preferred future for my life. I can't resist. Can we do some sums? Yeah. Right, to make it very, very practical. One plus two, 15. Okay. Can we go to um, another one, another one, another one? There we go. Now it's a bit small, so I'll narrate it. Just to be very practical about making decisions around money. Now, a lot of South Africans get into trouble by buying cars. Okay, so maybe forget about that first. Let me, let's just talk quickly. I can see the left brains now want to do so mickeys. So just, let's just focus first. I want to buy a car. I can't, I can't pay it cash. I have to travel. The public transport in South Africa isn't great. Now I go to VW. And there is like a very nice Polo Vivo 1.2 that costs me 200,000 bucks. If I have an interest rate of 11%, so that's the bottom right of your screen. If I have an interest, interest rate of 11% and I pay that for five years, it means, and I want to focus you on the second last line, it, I pay for a 200,000 rand car, I pay 60,000 rands worth of additional interest. But we know that, right? The one guy once said to me, he bought a new car, and I said, why did you buy a new car? And he said, it's very easy, I just pay the same installment. I'm like, my guy, you are going to pay another five years for the sale installment, and you're going to pay more interest than what you paid. So the issue here is I go in, and I buy a Polo Vivo for 200,000 bucks, and I pay 200,000 bucks plus 60,000 rands worth of interest. But now the evil one comes to my side, and he takes me to the GTI. And he said, just imagine... When your clients see this car that you drive, they will trust you because you make a lot of money because you are good. So there's a reason for you to buy the GTI. So now we go and we buy the GTI. Now the GTI costs 400,000 bucks, which means that the interest that you pay is 121,000 bucks. So just this decision, just this decision that we've taken costs me 200,000 more, Vivo 200,000, GTI 400,000, there's a 200,000 difference that I don't have to pay. It costs me 200,000 more plus the difference between the 60,000 Rand interest and the 120,000 Rand interest. I pay 260, listen carefully, 260,000 Rand extra. 
But wait, there's more. If you go to the next slide. If I take 260,000 rand and I make that decision four times in my life, four times in my life I buy a car and four times in my life I buy a car that actually I, I don't need. If I take that money and I invest it, imagine that, invest it at 8% interest, I will have 30 years from now 12 million rand. A decision by walking into VW, buying a GTI and not a Vivo, and I do that four times over, and I could have invested that money, it means the difference between fear and freedom. Let's break it down further. Buying sneakers. What does sneakers cost? I see these don't cost that. I went to Tacky Town. Okay. But sneakers cost, it can cost 2,000 Rand. <laughs> they outlawed. This man just asked why. Okay. It's because child labor is now not a thing anymore and you can't get it for, for less than that. Okay. So 2,000 2, Rand. If you buy that in a year, five pairs of sneakers. If you invest that money and you don't buy those sneakers, it's a million rand that you have available 30 years from now. And people say, it's COVID that gave me trouble. It's financial decisions, one after the other, that we are drawn by emotions into a space where we should never have been. And I really believe that God wants to come today and He wants to not come and condemn you. He wants to come and redeem you back to His purposes for your life. And I want to pray that over you right now. I want to pray for a renewal of your mind and I want to pray that you will come up and help me just with some keys. I, I moved your keyboard there, so... Because we can, the only way that I could give God's heart to you is to make it funny. But this is serious stuff. This is God's preferred future for your life. There's at stake here. Each and every financial decision that you take is taken on the battlefield for God's future for you. It's His preferred future. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen. It means that we have the responsibility of stewarding that financial future through each and every financial decision that we take. Each and every one. The sneakers that I buy, the holidays that I go on to, the car that I buy, the schools that I send my kids to, the university that I go to. Because all of those decisions, if taken badly, you go into debt to get. And it is my absolute prayer that God will redeem your heart, your emotions around money back to His heart for you. I want to ask you if you could close your eyes for a moment. I want to pray for your heart, your mind. Lord, there are many of us that are, that are sitting here and... Um, 
we're pushing back at the fear that we have in our hearts. We're pushing back at the fear that is overcoming us or is overwhelming us or has the potential to overwhelm us if we take one or two more decisions that are not of you. Lord, I want to come corporately and I want to ask that you will renew our minds, not through condemnation, but that you will renew our minds with a reality check, a reality check on past financial decisions that we've taken, a reality check on how my parents taught me to, to talk about my finances and to do my finances, a reality check when nobody has taught me and I'm just doing my own thing. Renewing our minds, not only for past decisions, but also a reality check on my current circumstances. The fact that I can afford my debt doesn't mean that I am secure. It just means that the banks are managing their risk appropriately. The banks, Lord, they don't care about my purpose. They care about their profits. The fact that somebody is phoning me with a credit card possibility doesn't mean that it's part of my preferred future. It means it's part of somebody else's profit statement, Lord. I know this. I need a reality check for this. But more than all of this, Lord, renew my mind to show me how I can glorify you by reflecting who you are in the world around me. I pray, Lord, for financial independence for each and every person that is sitting here, each and every person that listens to my voice, every family that's represented here. I pray for the young people in this congregation, Father, that they will not become part of the statistic that becomes a sandwich between two generations, their parents and their children. I pay for, for proper stewardship by their parents. I pray for proper stewardship of themselves. I pray that we will understand stewardship as being doing your will as we work towards your future for our lives. I pray for activated people that love you so much, love you more than things, more than people, more than institutions, that love you and just follow after you with all their hearts, all their mind, and everything that they are. I bless each and every person in your name, in your spirit, in your son, and in you, Father. I pray it in the most holy name that I know, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.